0: 18, 20 she ran a fossil store. She put the bones together for the And science was the province of men of noble birth. But I take Mary and the over the show.
1: All right, welcome back to STEM Fatal, your Women in Science History podcast. I'm one of your
0: co-hosts, Dr. Emlyn Gremlin. And I'm your other co-host, Dr. Emma Dilemma, uh, and I'm all full from a big Thanksgiving, <laughs> <laughs> from eating too much. Indeed. Yeah, we're thankful for all of mm-hmm. you, and we're thankful for all the ladies in science, and, uh, and especially for today's lady, right, Emlyn? We are extremely thankful for today's lady.
1: It's November, and do you know what November is besides gobble-gobble turkey time? Uh, is
0: it Indigenous Peoples Month?
1: Yes, yes. So it's Native American Heritage okay. Month, also known as American Indian right. and Alaska Native Heritage Month. So we are getting okay. in right at the end to cl- finish off this month. Um, By talking about an awesome, awesome Navajo, uh, more like activist, political activist, um, and uh, health educator, whose name is Annie Dodge Winneka. Wow. All right. I'm excited. All right. So this is going to be a two-parter. What I know, unheard of. You might say, "Why, Emlyn? Why is it a two partner?" Why? It's because I'm halfway through this book. <gasps> oh, about... <laughs> wow! All right. <laughs> One also, there's a lot of cool stuff, and it's a it's a good story. Yeah. But I'm halfway through this book called "I'll Go and Do More," and it's wow. all about cool. Annie's life and her work. <gasps> And so I'm at the halfway point because I'm a very slow reader and I already had, you know, <laughs> like six pages of notes. And so I figured, <gasps> let's just split it into two. You can't have enough. Yeah. of Annie.
0: um No. And so, yeah, yeah, you you're off the hook. Oh. <gasps> That's amazing! <laughs> wow, this is the best holiday present you yeah, can yes. give me. You uh, merry Christmas! <laughs> Unless you're like in two weeks, like I'm not finishing this book. <laughs> is there something <laughs> can you, please you can do? Come up with something real quick. Uh, no, I will well, finish maybe this I'll, book. You know? Okay, okay, okay. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, wow, this is so exciting, mm-hmm. and I'm. Excited to hear about her. Um, yeah. Let's get into yeah, it. Yeah, let's get into it.
1: Okay. So, uh, Annie Dodge Waneka was born into the Navajo tribe in a traditional Hogan in 1910. And so Hogan's are um, composed of wooden poles, tree bark, and mud with a doorway opening to the east to let in the morning sun. And these are traditional structures mm-hmm. Um they're also considered like pioneers in energy efficient homes because the mud keeps oh, the cool. homes cool during the summer and warm in the winter with the addition of a, a fireplace. So she was born into a traditional Hogan and Annie was the daughter of the Navajo leader Henry Chi Dodge and his third partner, uh, Kihanava. So, so he had his first wa- his first wife is Nanaba and Nana- Nanaba and her sister were both Chi's wives and then for some reason wow. they i don't know if they had a dispute with chi but for whatever reason they left temporarily and so um, as is i suppose slightly tradition their younger sister Kihanaba then came and kind of replaced the two other wives temporarily while they were out. So there was always somebody who's kind of taking charge of the household.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So um, Kihana-ba, who's the youngest of the three sisters, moved in to live with Chi um, and then bore Annie. Got it. Okay. And so as soon as Annie was born, then kihana ba returned to her family in Deer Creek when she was able to, and so Annie was raised by Chi's first wife, uh, Nataba, and their other children when Nataba like returned.
0: Kind of just like uh, communal mothering, yeah, or parenting yeah. or something. Yeah, a little bit.
1: Henry Chi Dodge, at this time when Annie was born, was the uh, head chief. He was the first tribal chairman. And he was also a rancher. Um, And so Annie, like a a very well known rancher. And so Annie lived a pretty comfortable life. Essentially, he had a really, like, part of the book talks about his life. Um, He had a very, like, poor upbringing and then became an interpreter. And so gained a lot of um, fame and respect within the Navajo tribe for being an interpreter in order to kind of talk to the US government and so kind of gained some influence through that manner.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's a good job. Yeah. Um and so Annie
1: was raised by Chi and his wife Nanaba, um but she would often still visit her mother Kihanaba and her step-siblings at the Deer Spring uh home. But she didn't realize they didn't tell her that Kihanaba, the young sister, was actually her mom. So she grew up thinking that uh Nanaba, who's actually her aunt, was her mom.
0: Oh, okay. Got it. Well do you know when she found out? Um yes, and I will tell you later. Okay. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Okay. So oh, juicy. That's interesting. Yes. Yeah. I'm not sure why, but
1: who's to say? Yeah. Um, so Annie, uh, so at age five, Annie was interested in her father's uh, sheep herding. So herding and sheep herding is a really big part of Nav- Navajo tradition. A lot of the day is kind of all the activities kind of revolve around what the sheep need to be doing, where when they need to be let out, when they need to be brought back. That kind of um, dictates how the day goes. So Annie was really interested in her father's sheep herding, and so she began to take a small herd of sheep out in the morning at age five. Whoa. Uh, And some of these were her own, uh, and some of them were her father's. So I guess it's traditional that when you're a young child, you're kind of given your own sheep, like one sheep a year or something like that. So you're kind of accruing your own flock as you age.
0: Whoa, that's
1: really cool. Yeah. So she had her own flock, but she was also taking yeah. care of her fathers. And so she'd get up and she would drive them to go get water. And then she'd come back for breakfast. And then she'd have coffee and fry bread as this five-year-old and then take them back out to the range.
0: <laughs> Imagine a freaking five-year-old like, okay, sheep, like pre coffee they're all sleepy post coffee they're like ah jeez <laughs> <laughs> coffee maybe it's really weak coffee but we're a 5
1: year old i know she's yeah. i mean she's getting down to business
0: yeah yeah she's she's only 5 uh in i don't know she's she's old she's she's wiser
1: yes. yeah <laughs> Yeah, so she after she was done with her coffee and fry that be- bread, she would take them back out th- to the range. And while at the range, she would entertain herself with various games, including moving little black ants to red ant mounds and watching them like
0: battle. <laughs> well, she's all hopped up. I know. Well, you've got to so do she's something. She's gotta like, yeah, entertain herself somehow.
1: Yeah. Uh, so as a child, watching out her, um, watching her sheep, she also once decided. To have a hand at butchering her own just so she knew what it was like so she slit the throat of one of her sheep skinned it and roasted it over a fire she built um she then ate the ribs which was a choice cut of meat and then hung the rest of the carcass up in a tree for later
0: um she is less than eight wow i mean you must have to be kind of strong yeah, wouldn't you have to be strong to do a lot of that? I would like, think so. Physically strong? I think she was yeah. a, a pretty or like, like maybe strong lady. Yeah, Pretty built. Yeah, definitely. Um, wow. But That's intense. I know. She says, okay, so she
1: later recalled this time saying, it was a good time back then. Those animals never did talk back to me. Oh, <laughs> like,
0: oh, shit. Like,
1: no, I'm sure they did not.
0: All right, yeah. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, hopefully not like that. Yeah, she could be a vet then. You
1: That's know? true. Speak to the animals. All right. So in the fall of 1918, Annie was approximately eight years old, and she went to school at uh, Fort Defiance. And at this time, so she was like sent away to school. And at this time, the Spanish flu occurred.
0: <gasps>
1: not okay, a good time. Yeah.
0: Which a lot of people kind of compare COVID to the Spanish flu, mm-hmm. right? In terms of how rapidly it spread yeah. and and how like impactful it was on communities, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like the Spanish flu is brought up a lot when COVID was first. People were first talking about COVID. I think the
1: Spanish flu has had much. I mean, you know, obviously we have much better medicines and are able to get things yeah much quicker. So it definitely had like a higher mortality rate. Um but I think yeah from my understanding Spanish flu is kind of interesting in that it seemed to infect like the young were particularly susceptible. Oh, whereas I okay. think feel like a lot of flu's it's mostly the old and similar with COVID it was mostly the old.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. Okay.
1: So she's away at school and during this time her half siblings were all brought brought back home from their private school in Denver and remained at home during the brunt of the oh. pandemic. So, but oh, she was okay. not brought back. So she remained at school. Oh. I'm not sure why. There's some weird things. That is
0: okay. Yeah, maybe it was just Maybe part of it was an age thing, or, or I don't know. Yeah, so
1: they yeah. went to different schools, and then they were all of the, like, her half-siblings, but her, quote-unquote, parents' full siblings, or full uh, kids all came back. Oh,
0: right. So they're technically...
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay, got it. But so Annie remained at school... And so the Spanish flu swept through her school while she was there, and luckily Annie only had a mild case, but that wasn't oh. the case for most people. So she, once she recovered from the Spanish flu, she began to feed uh, and help those who were too sick to feed themselves. Um, students were like hemorrhaging blood and dying like all over the school (gasps) no and soon there were too many dying to put them in their own wooden coffins and so instead they began (gasps) to wrap them in sheets and pile them on top of each other in the dormitories so she like lived through this really horrific experience that she was she recalls later that like she was really trying to help but was very helpless at that time. You know like she was feeding those who yeah, couldn't feed themselves, trying to give them water but like the amount that she was able to like help was very limited.
0: Yeah, I mean she she's, a <laughs> she's child, also a child and without medicine yes. like what there's not much you can do except just try to treat symptoms, yeah. right? Like wow. No. That sounds <laughs> yes, as like an eight-year-old. Probably very life-changing, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Yeah, so altogether approximately 2,500 people died in the, re- in the Navajo Reservation. Oh, man. From the Spanish flu. Yeah. So, so the Spanish flu wasn't the only thing that interrupted her education. Uh, in the spring, there was an epidemic of trachoma. Trachoma? I don't know how you say that. Trachoma? Mm-hmm. Uh, which one around the school, and this is like a contagious infection of the eyelids that can cause blindness. Right, okay. Um, and so for a year, they moved everyone to this like Catholic mission school and then turned Fort Defiance, Ugh. the school that she was going to, into a hospital for trachoma. So she's had like a very tumultuous trachoma. education.
0: Yeah, full of like... All these diseases. Yeah. Yeah. That's really... I didn't... I'd never heard of that. Okay. Then Mary, who was her half-sister,
1: came back from Denver. She didn't really want to go to school anymore, so she came back and started taunting Annie about not belonging to the family.
0: (gasps) So I guess they're all old enough to know that she's not actually... She's their half-sister. And do you think that's why she wasn't brought back from school i don't know during the spanish flu okay maybe um we yeah it's just a that's just a conjecture yes, exactly. i guess
1: so her stepmother Cheese yeah. wife uh nanaba she convinced her that she was her biological mother um and yeah being like no 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 don't listen to mary you know she doesn't know what she's talking about. I'm your mom, and then Kanaki Hanaba oh. is your aunt. Okay. So you double down on it.
0: So it's kind of like one of these family secrets that everybody knows, but they're keeping from just her. Yeah, that's <laughs> what it seems like. I
1: don't know why. Yeah.
0: Okay. But
1: maybe like I, I yeah I don't know. Yeah. Then after this period of time where they're both kind of home, uh the Indian school in Albuquerque opened up and she uh, decided to send both Mary and Annie to that school. They uh, both took the train to Albuquerque. So it's like the farthest they've gone, like the farthest that Annie's ever gone. And so she's on this train to Albuquerque to go to the school. And on the way, they stopped to let more um, children on who are also going to the school. And at this point, the trains like stopped and another train is barreling oh. towards them no and so
0: okay. <laughs> i'm telling you there's a lot going on what is happening okay and so
1: um okay so like from my she remembering must look the
0: story this, but i'm so tired i know they're
1: I don't know. Somebody, some of the adults on the train in English are like, you got to go to the back of the train or like go to the front of the train, go to the front of the train, go to the front of the train. And like all these kids who don't, none of them speak English. So they have no idea what's happening. Uh, but they're like trying to follow the signals. And then the train, the other train hits into the back of their train. No. Causing it to derail and for all the children to go like flying forward. I don't think there was anyone no. that died, no. but a lot of them broke their bones.
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing only because it's hor- so like, horrible. So
1: I know the, like oh my god. So many things for a small child. And then of course, wow. her sister Mary you know they have to wait for another via like some other way to get transported to albuquerque and it's like 12 hours or some long period of time and uh mary goes off with her friends and leaves annie to just like sit under a tree
0: alone cool <laughs> wow mary you're such a good sister. siblings suck
1: you know yeah um okay so they do eventually make it to the Indian school in Albuquerque, which is okay. run by the Bureau of Indian Affairs, with the express purpose of assimilating Native American children into white society. That's kind of the. Right. So, as yeah. such, speaking your native tongue is forbidden. And so, Ugh. Annie, but Annie quickly learns English because of this, uh, for better or uh, worse. Yeah. And because uh, Chi, her father, was had been an interpreter and spoke ec- excellent English, and was this successful businessman, he was really intertwined in many interactions with the Navajo and the the Americans. Um, so, for instance, the Secretary of the Interior created the Tribal Council to represent the Navajos in like business dealings related to oil. So they they said, okay, let's set up this council. Um, who's going to Determine what's in the best interest of the Navajo people, and so Chi was one of six Navajo uh, appointed to the council and was further elected as councilman, which is kind of like head of the whole council. So he's definitely like a big, wow. a big, um, yeah, figure in the Navajo
0: yeah. community. Big, big
1: man on campus. big man on campus at this Albuquerque Indian school. They're finally there. The trains are gone. It's safe okay. again. Um, the trains are gone, or the dreams. The trains. Are gone? I mean, some of her. Uh, some of okay. the dreams are probably also gone.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. Hopefully not. Not all of them. But I thought you said the dreams are gone, and I was like, <laughs> that's so, so, so sad. sad. Uh, so at yeah.
1: school, okay, Annie yeah. studied really hard and progressed two grades every year. Yeah, so she's just like, boom, 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 accelerating. yeah. Uh, And while there, she met an older classmate named George. George was an accomplished athlete, and around him, Annie's shyness melted away. Aww. So she returned to her home um, after the 11th grade because she was needed by her family to tend to the sheep. And it was then that she told her family that she and George wanted to marry.
0: Oh, wow. Okay,
1: cool. And although the tradition was for the parents to pick the husband, they acquiesced to her desires. And so she married George at 19. um, And it was this large affair uh, because her father, Chi, was so well known in the community. So there was like a processional and it was just a whole it was a whole big to do. It was a big wedding. Wow, that sounds fun. Uh, The couple was then sent to Tanner Springs, which was a property that her father owned that had a lot of sheep herds. Um, And so there she and George ran this large ranching operation. And when uh, her father came into town, he would take the couple to Navajo chapter meetings where Annie was exposed to Navajo politics and the tribal council. Wow. Okay. And while she was in charge of feeding everyone, that was kind of her role when she went to these meetings, uh, she would then join the men as they talked about the Navajo affairs and the U.S. government. So she'd get all her chores done to like feed everybody and clean everything, and then she would come and listen to what everybody was talking about. All right. She continued to be involved as a liaison between the Navajo and the U.S. government, sometimes in official capacities and sometimes not. And through this exposure, Annie gained experience through watching her father at these tribal councils and discussing his positions. And so while continuing to tend the herds at Tanner Springs, Annie and George, during this period of time, had seven children. Whoa. Yeah. A lot of children. Okay. Wait, and how much time? I, I don't know. It doesn't, it's some amount of time that's reasonable to have seven children. I'm just hoping it's not seven and seven I don't know seven you know? between seven and ten years sounds maybe
0: right oh, um that is a lot yes and some of these after three though maybe it's just like okay and we're get, we're going for it. <laughs> we're doing family, it goes, big family family yeah. energy you know
1: you need a lot of yeah you need a lot of little annies running around with their own sheep herds to like you know, there's a certain number of yeah. children you need, and then you've kind of got the sheep taken care of, I'd wow. imagine.
0: Um, and you know what? You you also need a lot of coffee. You need a lot of coffee. Oh, you know, for coffee. all of those all those children.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, you can drink coffee when you're pregnant, right? Like one cup. Yeah, you can have like, I
1: think like one cup.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, if you're drink drinking coffee. I mean, her seven-year-old's probably drinking coffee by the time she has her one-year-old. Yeah. So maybe. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. Anyway. um. So yeah, so she had seven children. Some of them had a variety of disabilities, partially because they were so out in the middle of nowhere that she had some difficult births where she couldn't make it to the hospital. And so just kind of repercussions of
0: that. Whoa. Yeah. Yikes. Uh, wow. Yeah.
1: yeah. Around this time, whatever the time this is, Nanaba, Chi's wife, uh, died. And so it was at this point that Annie was told that Nanaba was not her real mother.
0: Oh. So after she died.
1: Yeah. Whoa. And, the, and, like, I think a bunch of the kids Why? got, like, nice things and then she kind of got, like, nothing. Ugh. <laughs> uh.
0: Oh, wait, sorry, her aunt, her biological aunt died. Okay, okay, sorry, I was thinking, I heard you, but I didn't hear you. Okay, wait. Well, I mean, why, just like, give her back? I don't know. Uh, I don't really understand why they kept her and then treated her differently, you know? Yeah,
1: I mean, like, I think it might be traditions to, like, have, like, they have a big household, they're much more well, like much yeah. more well to do. It's a big whole place, so it might have just made sense for her to like live there. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know why. Yeah, I don't. I don't know why. Like,
0: it's a secret. It seems kind of strange, but
1: don't know. Don't know. Yeah. Could be good reasons. Yeah. Don't know. Interesting.
0: Yeah. True. Hard to say. We weren't there. We weren't there. You know. Um. <laughs> okay.
1: So around this time. She started translating at the meetings uh, for the local chapter uh, and began gaining a reputation for her persuasiveness and her willingness to stand up to government officials, U.S. government officials, that is, when they overstepped their bounds. Okay. Okay. And so because of this, the chapter subsequently elected her to the grazing committee, which addresses... Uh, disputes about land use and organizing sheep branding like sheep vaccinations things like that so she became on that council and as part of this position she had to drive kind of extensively traveling these really far distances between different rangelands and apparently annie was a notorious speeder and so, from all the coffee, from all the coffee that's just like coursing in her veins from childhood. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and so, one time she was pulled over for speeding on like Highway 66, and I'm guessing that was outside of oh. the reservation. And uh, she pretended she didn't speak any English. And so, she got a ticket, and the ticket nice. said like doesn't speak English or something like that. And so, then she had to go to the judge, wow. and it turns out the judge. Uh, was someone who knew her and her father for years. And so when he saw this, he was, wow. like, very amused that Annie, who was at yeah. this time a really sought-after interpreter, had a ticket that oh, said that she didn't okay. speak English. So he was like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, yeah. you're not fooling me, Got Annie. It. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm glad he was amused. I <laughs> ho- I hope he didn't like punish yeah. her too harshly. No, I think that. they were friends.
1: Yeah. yeah. All right. So on November 26th in 1946, her father was hospitalized with pneumonia. Um, and he told his four children, including Annie, uh, do not let this straight rope fall to the ground. If you discover it dropping quickly, one of you pick it up and hold it aloft and straight. Um, she then died and, uh, his death rattled the Navajo as he had been this like huge leader of their tribe for nearly half a century. Yeah. But these words that he said, these like final words that he said to her stuck with her. Yeah. So after her father's death Annie had two more children Um, The last birth Being quite traumatic The other ones were traumatic too But like the last one being quite traumatic As it happened on the way to the hospital Um, But they were like on the way to the hospital She birthed her baby But she like retained her placenta Which is like really bad Oh I didn't know that could happen Yeah so she like didn't expel her placenta So that like caused her a lot of agony um, oh, my and so God. they had to like- yeah. ra- like wrap her in the back of the her and her baby in like the back of a truck and like try to get to the hospital and it was okay, Ugh. but
0: yeah, childbirth is so <laughs> horrific, <laughs> yep, yep, even when it goes well, then you hear these stories about like how complicated it can be and often is, and like, oh my gosh,
1: it's amazing that we have so many people.
0: Yes, yes, for real. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, Okay. And then for uh, the next four years, Annie continued to raise her, at this point, nine children. Uh, She worked on the grazing committee and she ran that large ranch with her husband, George. Wow. And it was during this time that she thought about her father's dying wishes to, quote, not let my straight rope fall to the ground. Um, And she knew that her other siblings had no interest in Navajo politics, and so she decided that it was her time to run for tribal council. Wow. Okay, cool. So she ran against two men. Uh, One of them was a medicine man. And although only one other woman had been on the tribal council before, uh, whose name was Lily Neal, it was not because the Navajo had some issue with women in authority positions, or being part of the decision-making. Instead, the original tribal council had been elected by the U.S. government officials, and it was they that had put in place all men, because, you know, the U.S. government, like, did have a problem with women in positions of authority.
0: And they made them have this council, and it, it was it the council's, I guess, job to, like, make decisions and communicate them to the US government or like why I, why did they force them to have a council so they
1: had so... they they had them have a council so that there was a group that were making decisions for the Navajo it like originally started because i guess there was a lot of like bits of oil on the reservation and so they needed some group of people to Determine how they wanted to deal uh, with like oil deals between the U.S. government. Ugh. Yeah, so it's like a way for our, like a group of people to kind of be the yeah decision makers.
0: Interesting, which is
1: good, but you know they the first round of the council they had put in place, like the other ones were yeah, elected by. The local community but I think the first round were appointed so it just kind of started off with all men and then kind of was mostly all men yeah of course yeah
0: Yeah.
1: okay um but she yeah so she beat the her two competitors and became the second woman to be on the tribal council
0: wow great good
1: So as a member of the tribal council, Annie was outspoken and unafraid of calling out the white officials when she saw them overstepping their authority or using Navajo funds inappropriately. Whoa. Um, Okay. She was not anti-white, but was instead enthusiastically pro-Navajo. Yeah, of course. Um, And when the council was in session, she would drive 150 miles every day to make it to the council meetings and would drive all across the reservation to meet with her constituents. Wow. And at this time, her husband, George, along with her half-sister, Anne, kept the ranch going, um, looking after the nine children, which allowed Annie to have the freedom to do this. At this time, also, her husband, George, had, like, I don't know if it would be an affair, or maybe it was fine. It seems like having multiple wives is... um, a fine thing or at least was a fine thing in Navajo tradition so he kind yeah. of because she was gone so much started a relationship with the neighbor and they had a child or two together during this time as well oh Gosh! and there was this kind of community raising her nine children and his other children and and her half sisters yeah. there too so a big communal raising of wow. children
0: um, well, I just hope it all was okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't he's know. He's not like, oh. Excuse me? He comes back and he's got two new babies.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So Annie, then during this time, went along on her first trip to Washington, D.C. with the advisory council, which is like a smaller council, I think, within the tribal council. Um, and while on this trip, it was discovered back at the reservation that tuberculosis was running rampant and was between nine to 10 times higher than it was in the white populations. Oh, wow. So to deal with this crisis, there was this large effort to get sick Navajos, um, into the hospital. Right. Um, and additionally, doctors had offered their time and drugs to come attend to the sick, but needed funds for travel. So Annie made a motion to put aside $10,000 to help support, transport these doctors to and from uh, the reservation. So all of the hospital beds in the Navajo hospital became full with TB patients like immediately.
0: So it was, was it spreading because they just weren't being treated? Yeah, I
1: don't think, I think at this point they hadn't really investigated. I don't know what was the impetus To start investigating but I don't think they had been tracking TB and so when they Then did A tracking they're like oh this is much more Rampant than we thought
0: Wow okay Um And
1: so yeah so all of the hospitals In the Navajo hospital became filled With TB patients and so Um the white hospital Outside of the reservation Opened up 400 beds for Navajo Patients being like you can come and we'll treat You here
0: Okay.
1: So in January 1953, the Cornell medical team, who was working on TB in the Navajo uh, Reservation, reported to the um, the council about the status of TB on the reservation, and they said that although drugs were working well, vast numbers of Navajo were not getting treatment, and the disease was spreading. Ugh,
0: that's
1: horrible. And so one of the council members said. He, like, stood up and he said, where is the lady? You women can take care of the sick far better than we men can. So let's appoint her and get her to work. So they they made a motion. Someone else seconded it. And when without even asking Annie about whether or not she wanted to be on this position, um, they oh decided that she was – that the position was hers.
0: It's, like, hard for me to tell if that's a compliment. I know. I know. <laughs> it's like, okay, well – uh, thank you. I guess like, it's sexist, but it's also like, oh, you're good at this, you know? Yeah, it's a very, it's strange. <laughs> like usually, yeah, usually sexism is like the opposite, yeah. but it's like, oh, well, I guess if you're really good at this, <laughs> but also she should have a yeah. choice in what she's allowed to do. I'll, like at the end of the day, but also but she know. has
1: like no experience, <laughs> so it's like not not like Annie particularly has. Yeah.
0: Uh, experience in this, right? But expertise, yeah. yeah. Interesting, very mm-hmm. interesting.
1: But regardless, Annie became the chair of the new health and wellness <laughs> section uh, of All the right. Okay, <laughs> the tribal council. And although George yeah. had been supportive of her being elected to the tribal council and being on the like grazing committee, he was not supportive of this move because he feared that she would bring oh. tb back to her family. Which oh okay. I guess it's like a it's a fair worry, you know?
0: Yeah, I guess depending on what she actually has to do day to mm-hmm. day, like maybe
1: yeah, she has to go talk to people who have tb and constantly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So part of the reason uh TB was getting so bad on the reservation despite the fact that there was hospital space in the at the White Hospital and they there were good drugs that you could take to help with TB. Yeah. Um was that few Navajos were actually staying in the hospital long enough to complete the treatment.
0: Oh, okay. Disease
1: was considered by Navajo culture to be caused by something being out of balance with nature. Um, And so how they dealt with disease was very different from the way hospitals dealt with it. Just like extremely, extremely different. And so generally um, in Navajo tradition, they'd be surrounded by family. They'd have a medicine man who was with them 24 seven. Being in a hospital was just like you were alone alone it was foreign, the doctors came very yeah. irregularly. Right. Just in general, the, ho- the hospitals were kind of a uh, seen as a place of to be fearful of also, in addition to it just being so different.
0: Yeah, I mean I would guess there's not a lot of, like, good communication no. even about, like, what, how they're being treated and, like, why and so if that's the case, it It would be hard to be like, this is not what I want, Mm -hmm. you know? And, like,
1: most of them don't speak English and most of the doctors in the hospitals don't speak Navajo. And so, like, you can't even communicate about what they're
0: doing, how you're feeling. Yeah, that would be, like, really uncomfortable, I think.
1: And so the government hospitals also, they just had no idea about Navajo culture and they weren't really willing to change protocols to meet people halfway to make them more comfortable or help explain things. Um, and additionally because Navajo the Navajo people generally avoided the hospitals, they only really went to them when they were really really sick. And so most of them actually died in the hospital, which made people Ugh. feel that hospitals were a bad omen because that's where people when they go they die. Oh, you know, it's like
0: Christine. Okay.
1: Yeah, got it. So there's a big communication there's a big issue with people just not staying in the hospitals long enough to get well. So they're yeah. leaving too early and then they're s- still sick and then they're s- passing it on. And then sometimes the drugs don't work as well once you do come back.
0: Oh, okay. Wow. Oh, is it is tuberculosis treated with an antibiotic? Is that why? Yeah. Yeah, so maybe you could even be resistant. Yeah, exactly. Like, make, become more resistant if you don't complete treatment mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. So, at this time, Annie,
1: she's been thrown into this position. She knows nothing about TB when she started. And they kind of were like, okay, well, you should go and you start should ta- start talking to various people and who are sick and trying to convince them to go to the hospital. Right. And she was like, okay, no, 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 no. I don't know anything about TB. So I'm going to go spend a good amount of time at these hospitals and I'm going to observe patients. I'm going to read medical books and I'm going to look at TB under the microscope and really get a sense of what TB is, how it manifests, what the symptoms are, how it's treated, what the drugs do. And then once I feel comfortable that I know what I'm talking about, then I'm going to talk to our people and try
0: to convince them they need to go get help yeah totally logical good thinking (laughs) Uh, and so
1: she did this it took her three months spending time in hospitals looking at stuff under the microscope before she was like okay i can go out and i can talk to people i feel confident that i can explain things and i know what i'm talking about
0: yeah cool
1: Uh, And so around this time, it was estimated that there were about 1,200 to 1,500 active TB cases out of the 75,000 Navajos on the reservation. Wow. And so that's, yeah.
0: That is a lot.
1: Uh, And Annie went to visit various hospitals and would talk to the Navajo uh, tuberculosis patients in their native tongue. And she'd explain to them the, why they needed to stay in the hospital until their treatment was done. Yeah, She would bring them a tape recorder so that the patients could give a message back to their loved ones. Um, and Aww. then she would travel to those families and have them record messages telling oh the gosh. patient to stay in the hospital and to get better and that the family and that the herd were doing fine. So like they're just providing that communication, so that they didn't feel so isolated and they also could communicate like that the family wants you to stay like we understand now what tb is and what the hospital is doing and we urge you to stay so it was like that communication that really was helping yeah. and then in the hospital she would take all of the navajo tb patients to the lab and they would you know take swabs of their own saliva and they'd look at uh, look at it under the microscope and so they would look at the bacteria that was causing the disease And so after this, fewer patients were beginning to leave the hospital early and more patients were returning to their families actually cured rather than bringing the disease home and having it spread.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So while she was making
1: progress, there was still a big hurdle in getting more of the Navajo to accept Western treatments for tuberculosis. So Annie really needed buy-in from traditional medicine men in her community. And so part of the problem was medicine men were treating tuberculosis in their traditional way, um, which was not like specifically for TB was not going to work. And so uh, it was simply causing a delay in them getting treatment that could actually cure it. So this was a very touchy subject, right? Because Medicine men are extremely revered in the culture. They have a long history of healing um, various ailments successfully. And she doesn't want to belittle them or insult them. But there are things like TB and infectious diseases that you need a different type of medicine, a non-traditional Navajo medicine to actually cure. Right? So it's just like, Wanting to be respectful and be, like, believing in what they do and, like, but also trying to convince them that there are limitations of the diseases that they can treat and that they need to, instead of insisting that they can treat TB when they see TB-like symptoms, being like, okay, this, you need to go and get this type of treatment. Other things I can still help you with, but this specifically... You know, like I, it's, I'm doing an outpatient, like you need to go to the hospital or you need yeah. to go and get some modern medicine for this because I'm not going to be able to help you with that. So a very tricky right, yeah. thing to navigate.
0: Oh, man.
1: So she did this. She, you know, also took. Um, she met with the advisory council um, and various medicine men in her community. and she took them through that same TB training she had done where she had them look at the disease under the microscope, looked at X-rays of like chest X-rays, learned about the drugs and what they did. Uh, she even went further and started making these short PSA films about tuberculosis that was in uh, the Navajo language featuring Navajo actors um, to try to get across the importance of TB. Yeah. And so doctors said about these films that they were as important a tool for treatment of TB as the drugs were because it was really getting people Whoa. to realize what TB was, how it was being treated um in a very like engaging way because apparently at this time like the Navajo loved like films and so it was like a very good way
0: to get people engaged. Wow, that's really yeah. neat. Early, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: so at this time, and as she's been kind of doing for a while now, Annie's been traveling quite a bit, going to a conference for health professionals working on TB on the reservation, going to a national meeting on TB, etc. And around this time, her it was 1954, and her first term was up, and so she needed to run okay. again. Guess who runs against
0: her? Her husband? Yes. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Okay.
1: So for whatever reason, I'm not sure, her husband, George Wineka, decided to run against Annie. And though she tried to convince him to drop out, he stayed in the race.
0: It's gotta be a tense at home. That sounds like maybe things have been tense for a while. (laughs) Especially with the new girlfriend. Uh,
1: Yeah. Uh. I
0: don't know. It sounds touchy. It
1: sounds like a touchy time. Um but luckily Annie was overwhelmingly reelected, so Okay, good.
0: Yeah, because she'd been successful. Yeah, So why? Yeah, that's okay. Now, hey. <laughs> at this time, also, uh,
1: Paul Jones, who is a medicine man, was elected chairman of the council. And luckily, he realized that some illnesses could not be cured with traditional practices and required modern medicine. And so he was a good ally of Annie in trying to make progress in um Convincing people that they needed modern medicine when it came specifically to TB. Okay, yeah. Uh, However, during this time, some of the committee started to think that Annie was becoming too visible and standing out too far from the rest of her colleagues, which is kind of um, a faux pas. Uh, However, even though they kind of, they mentioned this and there was a whole bunch, there's a little bit of drama because they thought she was just kind of, being a little too much in the public eye and taking up a little too much, you know, space. Um, she knew her stuff. And so they placed her back, even though they had some issues with her, they still placed her back on the health and wellness committee. Okay.
0: Huh?
1: Okay. Politics is so complicated. I know. I know. Uh, in 1955, the U S public health service took over for the Bureau of Indian Affairs health department. And this health system no longer had to compete with other areas of the Department of the Interior for funding. Um, And so there was a bunch of new programs that kind of came with this transition. Okay, that's good. And so as part of this new Indian Health Services, um, they started a pilot study on how modern medicine could be presented um, in a form that was more acceptable across cultural and linguistic barriers. Um, but while still maintaining high medical standards. So they're like, okay, is there a way that we can take what we know to work for TB and various other diseases and incorporate these cultural differences um, to try to make something that is more aligned, that the Navajo people will feel more comfortable with, that's still just as effective? Like, how, how, do, we, how do we bridge yeah. this gap? Right. Yeah. So part of this project was um, studying the success of giving the Navajo, um, who had early cases of TB, uh, giving these drugs at home rather than in the hospital. Like, can we, if they're not too, yeah. too sick, give them these drugs in the comfort of their own home, where they feel more comfortable, where they're not just, like, surround, like, have weird food, weird people who don't speak their language um and it's a right. very foreign environment can we like is that successful can we do that if we just give them the drugs in their own home
0: yeah you would think so yeah you would know. you'd hope so but I, you, you got to do these trials
1: um yeah so annie helped find the right community to work with they kind of needed to be um a mix of they couldn't be like too modernized or like too western but they also couldn't be too remote so they're trying to find a community that would be kind of representative and yeah. so she helped them find the right community for this and then explained to the community the benefits of having this new um medical center nearby so at this clinic um annie worked to make sure that as many of these jobs as possible were given to navajo's within the community so it was also like a way to bring in jobs while she's doing this in october 1955 dr james shaw who was this the new head of the navajo office for the indian health services program um, he discussed a recent study with everyone showing that the majority of Navajo illnesses were these, like, serious infections that were also preventable. Like, it was very easy to prevent things from getting this serious. And so he yeah. emphasized in this talk that preventing these infections and their severity should be the priority. And so this transitioned Annie... Smart. Into all of her work going forward, Um, she took up this mantle to really start advocating for disease prevention rather than, um, because there was such a big problem, like, okay, how do we cure people who are sick? Now it's like, how do we prevent people from getting this sick?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that... Does that usually costs less money? Yes, it costs less money. It costs less, like
1: human lives. lives.
0: <laughs> uh, it's
1: better, right, yeah. better in general. Um, and so yeah, that yeah. work will be the focus of our next episode on oh, the wow. second part. Okay, where she transitions, um, still working on TB, but more in general on disease prevention. She becomes a DJ. Um, she does a lot more what? cool stuff and um
0: we'll we'll talk about the that. DJ. Yes. As in disc jockey. Disc jockey. Not like I don't know, some kind of public health turn like doctor. Uh, no,
1: no, she's uh, a disc jockey.
0: Okay. Don't get it twisted. She's a disc <laughs> <Wow>. jockey. <gasps> I cannot wait. That is <laughs> a good cliffhanger.
1: Yeah, I have no idea. I am like, I am not there. I have no stuff. idea how much um trains. Who yeah. knows what crazy stuff's gonna happen in this second half.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Wow. I'm definitely excited to hear more now that you've told me about this this twist in her life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I think she's still on the T V train, um, but yeah. <laughs> she expands to uh, a lot more stuff that's great I love her so far she's got a pretty fascinating life yeah uh, pretty um,
1: she's very different than my life oh yeah
0: way more exciting
1: yeah but also much more like devastating like I'm glad I didn't yeah. have like a whole <laughs> bunch of my middle school just like die
0: yeah or, like, be in a train uh, that derailed. How, how do people even, like, move on from those things, you know? I don't know. It's wild. It's a lot yeah. of trauma. It's really wild. Yeah. And that's okay. my story um, of Annie Dodge whenever. Yeah. Yeah. The early years. <laughs> the early years. Part one. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, i got us a, a pretty short shout out actually Woo-hoo. for this week. Work, 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 work. Um, okay, so this is our Women Who Work section where we give a uh, shout outs to badass ladies making her history today. And Emlyn, this week I wanted to shout out another podcast that Ooh. I just discovered. Okay. Um I don't know if you've heard of it. I saw it uh, just looking up like, you know, women in science news. You know, I always for these shout outs like Google, like science news, like <laughs> you know, like stupid stuff just to try to find anything. And yeah, there's a new podcast um, launched on November 4th by reporter Katie Hafner and bioethicist Amy Scharf. And it's called the Lost Women of Science podcast.
1: Oh,
0: and I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, like our listeners would like this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, you know, in short, like the podcast aims to do two things. So they state on their website that their first aim is to tell the story of female scientists. Sound familiar? Yep. Uh, that was me. Adding that, who made um, female scientists who made groundbreaking achievements in their fields, yet remain largely unknown to the general public. Yeah, great. Right? Um, and their second aim is to inspire girls and young women to embark on careers in STEM. Yeah, and um, so each season covers a single uh woman in science, basically. And they discuss her discoveries, accomplishments, life, and why she may have been overlooked by, by history books or science books or whatever. So it's a lot like our podcast, but it's more similar to like a NPR type production style of <laughs> storytelling where there's like music and yep. not just us being like, can you effing believe that? You know? A little more. Um, it's like scripted. Yeah. Ex- yeah. Exactly. So I think it's funded partially by like Scientific American. Oh, nice. Um, and written by like professional writers. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not saying it's better. I'm just saying it's, it's just like, different. different. Um Yeah. And I think that our podcast listeners would like it. So. I think the whole first season is out. It's four episodes, and it covers the life of Dr. Dorothy Anderson, who I had not heard of. So I was like, okay, cool. Like, another lady in science. Like, how have... Are there still so many people we've never heard of? Um, And Dorothy Anderson was the first person to identify and describe cystic fibrosis, which is insane. What's the podcast called again? And, um... It's called The Lost Women of Science. Okay. Yeah. And they just received a a really huge grant to continue their podcast and um, do – I think it would cover, like, enough staff to produce uh, three more seasons or something like that. So Very cool. Anyway, I highly recommend our listeners check it out. I listened to the first episode. It's really good, so – Um, and it should be right up everyone's alley if you like this podcast and made it this far, you know?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if you stuck with us. Um,
0: yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, that I thought it was really cool. Dorothy Um, Anderson, I've got it on my list for the week. Yeah. The Lost Women of Science.
1: Speaking of, um, Women in science. <laughs> what a transition. Uh, I was at work today and my lab yeah. mate who studies bees, he he was like, you want to go get coffee with me? I need to go pick up like a really old book from the library that I had sent to me, oh. like an interlibrary loan. And I was like, sure. Need any yeah. excuse to not do my work. And we went. And the book that he picked up was by Eva Crane.
0: Oh, cool! Yes. So it's if nice. if listeners, the nuclear physicist, yeah, turned turned bee expert, bee expert, yeah. yeah. So that's awesome. yeah. I thought that was really cool. Um,
1: yeah, it was like it's like a huge text. Uh,
0: all about oh, yeah, all about yeah, bees yeah. and she... honey and like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It was just awesome. It
1: that's pleased really
0: me. cool. Nice. Yeah. Did you tell him? I did. Well, he he knew
1: that I had done Eva Crane. So he was like, oh, yeah, you know all about her. I
0: was like, I do. Yeah, that's awesome. So that made me feel warm
1: and fuzzy in my heart and soul.
0: Yeah, I love when I hear about these ladies, like, weeks or months or I guess now even years later. Like, see an article and I'm just like, oh, I've actually, like, heard of that person Mm -hmm. and know what she did. Like, yeah no it's it's really neat it's awesome it's great yeah
1: all right and finally wanted to thank everybody for tuning in i know we've been kind of helter skelter but we're doing the best we can uh mostly it's me that's holding everything up (laughs) (laughs) i
0: mean Um, it's it's not we're just you know what life uh we're going with the flow. We're we're busy ladies, so yeah. Life Just gives you about it, everyone lemons.
1: Yeah, that's thanks. it. That's how thanks. the saying goes. Life thanks. gives you lemons. All right. Thank yeah. you for tuning in. Thanks to Artichoke for our awesome theme music. Thank you, Caitlin, Friesen for our awesome art. And as always, you can go stimulate Stemulate yourself. yourself. Stem. All right. Thanks. See you next week for part two. Or in two weeks. We'll do it in two weeks. (laughs) Anyways, bye.